Have you ever had conflict escalate in any of your relationships? You ever had that where it starts at sort of one level, a fairly innocuous level, maybe a minor disagreement, and then it changes into something much bigger? You ever had that? Anyone? You never had it in your marriage where one person asks the other person, hey, what do you want for dinner? And suddenly someone is saying to the other, you don't really love me or you never listen to me or something like that goes on. You never had that? Or you're, you're, maybe you're with your kids and you go into your kid's room and you say, hey, can you clean up your room? And then all of a sudden it turns into this big blowout with your children where you were like, hey, I just wanted you to pick up your clothes that have been sitting there for a week. And suddenly you don't care about them and you don't understand them and you're not watching out for them in some way, shape, or form. Conflict ex- escalates, doesn't it? And it's funny because we can see that in a lot of places. We certainly see it in the history of the church. Has anyone ever heard of the place called the Church of the Holy Sepulchre? You ever heard of that? It's actually a a, a building, um, the one that I'm talking about. I'm sure there are others. The one that I'm talking about is just on the outskirts of Jerusalem. It is considered by many, not all, but many, to be the actual place of Christ's crucifixion. It is a church that has been there for centuries and centuries, but because it's such a holy place, many different groups have laid claim to this space. In fact, there are six, officially six different denominations or different groups of people who have claimed to that space, including Catholics, Coptic Christians, Orthodox Christians, all these different people. Well, if you stick six different and diverse group of Christians into one church, What are you going to have? Unfortunately, history tells us we have conflict. So much so that there's one very physical, very clear source of conflict. It's a ladder. If you go there, you can see it. Kristen and I, when we were there, we saw the ladder. It's been there for over 200 years. Nobody knows who put it up there. It's on the building. It's resting like someone was climbing up to do something a little bit higher on the building. And it's resting there. Nobody knows who put it there. But nobody is allowed to touch it or move it because then they take responsibility for leaving it there and they take the ladder and the other groups will get upset and frustrated to the point where, and they've even had this in the last 20 years, fist fights that bring out, break out between all the different groups that are a part of the church. In fact, there's one monk, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, who sits in a chair on a portion of the roof of the Church of the Holy Sepulchre because at one point this one group claimed that space and another group claimed that space as well and the only way that they can lay claim to that space is if someone is there other t- all the time or another group might move the chair. It's a ladder. It's a chair and yet it has turned into a hundred year battle in the church. Conflict escalates. And in our text this morning, we're going to see how something that was intended for good tended to be very simple. Three friends coming to Job to comfort and encourage him turns into a much higher escalation of conflict. And how that makes Job feel, how he responds to it, and how he longs for something more. As we dig into God's word together this morning, let's pray for God's blessing and presence during our time. He might show us what it is that he wants us to learn. Father, be present with us. 
middle of all the traffic, middle of all the life and sunshine and other people here, Lord, may you speak to our hearts, our minds with what we need. Be an encouragement to us. Be encouragement to those who are online in their space, whether it be in their homes or on a walk or in their cars, wherever they might be, Lord, be present with them. Be an encouragement to all of us through the power of your word where you remind us of your faithfulness to us for all of time, for centuries and centuries, and certainly in our lifetime. That we might take some comfort, encouragement from that and be reminded, Lord, that we can continue to walk with you even though challenges come, even though struggles are there. We can trust in you. God, equip us to that end. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. I encourage you to turn in your Bibles. We're going to be doing Ju- uh, reading Job 15, 16, and 17 today. We'll start with verse uh, chapter 15, the whole chapter. This is Eliphaz's speech to Job. Remember, Job talked last week. Eliphaz is responding to him, and he replies thusly. When a wise person answer with empty notions or fill their belly with the hot east wind, would they argue with useless words, with speeches that have no value? But you even undermine piety and hinder devotion to God. Your sin prompts your mouth. You adopt the tongue of the crafty. Your own mouth condemns you, not mine. Your own lips testify against you. Are you the first man ever born? Were you brought forth before the hills? Do you listen in on God's counsel? Do you have a monopoly on wisdom? What do you know? that we do not know? What insights do you have that we do not have? The gray-haired and the aged are on our side, men even older than your father. Are God's consolations not enough for you, words spoken gently to you? Why has your heart carried you away? And why do your eyes flash so that you vent your rage against God and pour out such words from your mouth? What are mortals that they could be pure? Oh, those are those born of woman, that they could be righteous. If God places no trust in his holy ones, if even the heavens are not pure in his eyes, how much less mortals who are vile and corrupt who drink up evil like water. Listen to me, and I will explain to you, let me tell you what I have seen, what the wise have declared, hiding nothing received from their ancestors, to whom alone the land was given when no foreigners moved among them. All his days, the wicked man suffers torment. The ruthless man through all the years stored up for him. Terrifying sounds fill his ears. When all seems well, marauders attack him. He despairs of escaping the realms of darkness. He is marked for the sword. He wanders about for food like a vulture. He knows the days of darkness is at hand. Distress and anguish fill him with terror. Troubles overwhelm him like a king poised to attack Because he shakes his fist at God and vaunts himself against the Almighty, defiantly charging against him with a thick, strong shield. Though his face is covered with fat and his waist bulges with flesh, he will inhabit ruined towns and houses where no one lives, houses crumbling to rubble. He will no longer be rich and his wealth will not endure, nor will his possessions spread over the land. He will not escape the darkness. A flame will wither his shoots and the breath of God's mouth will carry him away. Let him not deceive himself by trusting what is worthless for he will get nothing in return. 
Before his time he will wither, and his branches will not flourish. He will be like a vine stripped of its unripe grapes, like an olive tree shedding its blossoms. For the company of the godless will be barren, and fire will consume the tents of those who love bribes. They conceive trouble and give birth to evil. Their womb fashions deceit. So Eliphaz is responding to Job, and he does... It lives into the pattern, right? He begins with saying to Job, basically, what you've said is really, you know, foolish. It's not right. He says these words, would a wise word, would a wise person answer with empty notions or fill their belly with the hot east wind? He's basically saying what you're giving back to us, what you're responding to us with as we say to you what we need to say is just it's useless. It's empty. It's, it's not at all wisdom. Which, okay, that's one thing. But Eliphaz escalates it. How do we know that? Let's look at verse 20. It says this. All his days, the wicked man suffers torment, the ruthless man through all the years stored up for him. And until the end of the chapter, he basically highlights the consequence of being evil. So again, To recap, this is a friend of Job who came with the intention of giving him comfort. Now, as the conversation has continued, instead of him sharing comfort and hope, he's not only saying what you're saying is worthless, he's even now taking it up a notch and saying, Job, you're just like the wicked man described here. You're living into evil. Evil both must be the the consequence of your actions. The evil actions that you have must be all the things that happened to you. And remember, he lost his servants. He lost his cattle. He lost all this stuff in chapters one and two. And then he lost his health. That happened because you were evil. And now your evil continues because you continue to speak against God. Conflict is the conflict has taken up a notch and Job isn't happy about it. Hear what he says, verse, or chapter 16. I have heard many things like these. You are miserable comforters, all of you. Wow. Well, your long-winded speeches never end. What ails you that you keep on arguing? I also could speak like you. If you were in my place, I could make fine speeches against you and shake my head at you. But my mouth would encourage you. Comfort from my lips would bring you relief. Yet if I speak, my pain is not relieved. And if I refrain, it does not go away. Surely, God, you have worn me out. Devastated my entire household. Shriveled me up. It has become a witness. My gauntness rises up and testifies against me. God assails me and tears me in his anger, gnashes his teeth at me. My opponent fastens on me his piercing eyes. People open their mouths to jeer at me. They strike my cheek in scorn and unite together against me. God has turned me over to the ungodly, thrown me into the clutches of the wicked. All was well with me, but he shattered me. He seized me by the neck and crushed me. He's made me his target. His archers surround me. Without pity, he pierces my kidneys, spills my gall on the ground. Again and again, he bursts upon me. He rushes at me like a warrior. 
So Job begins this passage as he has done in the past. He calls them bad friends, right? I mean, what, what a phrase, what a sentence from scripture. You are miserable comforters, all of you. And then he says that if he were to speak, he would have said something else. He would have given to them what he longs for himself, but my mouth would encourage you comfort from my lips would bring you relief. He would have been somebody who would sought a way to bring God's love, God's presence through his words and his presence with his friends. But then he goes on. And as he goes on, he continues to put before God that God is the one responsible for all of his suffering. He says this, verse seven, surely God, you have worn me out. He's acknowledging again God's sovereignty in all this. And he's saying, yes, my suffering is from God's hand. And he struggles with that, as all of us do, right? We struggle with the idea that God allows us to go through pain and suffering and struggle in our own life. And we, like Job, want to cry out. We long to be encouraged. We long to be comforted. We long to have a friend come alongside us and help us in those moments. That's what Job is longing for. Maybe you know Job's longing. Maybe you've had that before. Has anyone ever had a person who began by being a comforter or an encouragement in something, but then it changed, and it changed to be a more difficult relationship where it wasn't comfort anymore. It wasn't encouragement. I was talking to somebody not long ago who's going, who has been going through a divorce for the last number of months. And as they were talking, they were talking about a specific relationship that they've been walking through. A friend who right away, as they were walking through the conflict that led to the, the, the process of divorce, a friend would come by. A friend would come by and be present, would bring some food over, would watch the kids for a couple, a couple minutes if this person needed to run an errand. Be an encouragement and be a comfort. Would basically say to that person, I'm here for you. Good comfort. The only problem is, is over time that relationship changed. And it became a relationship where instead of coming and staying for an hour, it was three hours. And by the end of the three hours, the person who was seeking comfort was exhausted with trying to be an encouragement to the one who was supposed to be providing that comfort. And instead of being a person who, who came and spoke words of love and encouragement, instead they began to share all their problems and their challenges, and it became exhausting. Have you ever met anyone like that? When your encourager becomes your afflictor, that's what's happened with Job. Job is seeking another way. He's longing for another way to receive comfort. And we get this now extraordinary passage from the Old Testament that tells us how God meets what Job needs so desperately. Chapter 16, verse 15 says this. I have sewed sackcloth over my skin, buried my brow in the dust. My face is red with weeping, dark shadows ring my eyes, that my hands have been free of violence. My prayer is pure. Earth, do not cover my blood. May we cry, may my cry never be laid to rest. Even now my witness is in heaven. My advocate is on high. My intercessor is my friend as my eyes pour out tears to God. On behalf of a man, he pleads with God as one pleads for a friend. 
Only a few years will pass before I take the path of no return. My spirit is broken. My days are cut short. The grave awaits me. Surely mockers surround me. My eyes must dwell on their hostility. Give me, O God, the pledge you demand. Who else would put up security for me? You have closed their minds to understanding. Therefore, you will not let them triumph. If anyone denounces their friends for reward, the eyes of their children will fail. Again, Job is living into that lament. But then he says something absolutely extraordinary. Chapter 16, verse 18. Make sure you're looking along with me. It says this. Earth, do not cover my blood. May my cry never be laid to rest. Even now, my witness is in heaven. My advocate is on high. My intercessor is my friend. As my eyes pour out tears to God on behalf of a man, he pleads with God as one pleads for a friend. When you read that, does it sort of take you back a minute? Who's he talking about? Marlene? He's talking about Jesus. Wait, hold on here. You're saying that Jesus shows up in Scripture way before Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Is that what you're saying, Marlene? It's exactly what she's saying because it's truth. Jesus is present here even in Job's suffering, even though Job knows nothing of who Jesus is. He, not, he does not know the story that will be told in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He doesn't know that God will come, Emmanuel, God with us, in order to change the story completely. All he knows is that there is an intercessor who goes before the Father and continues to plead his case. I'm, when I read that, I was taken aback for a moment. Because it's not just that he's alluding to a Messiah who will come. He's saying that right now, there is an intercessor pleading on his behalf before the Father. Now, for us to think about that for a moment, because we're going to acknowledge a couple of things probably pretty easily, right? We're going to say, God is eternal, amen? The Spirit is eternal, amen, right? We know that because in Genesis chapter 1, the earth was formless and void, and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters, so we know the Spirit was present, the Spirit is eternal. But where is Jesus in all this? Where is Jesus in Genesis chapter 1 and the following chapters? Where does he show up? We can look at him and we can find him. But for us to know that Christ himself is eternal and he always has been. And he always has been present with God. We know what will happen in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John because suddenly he will come and take away our sin by taking on our sins upon himself. Being crucified in those power of that sin is dead to, dead to us. But even now in the Old Testament, in the life of Job, he's still interacting with humanity as our intercessor because that's been the son's job from the dawn of all of creation. And he has been faithful to that work, even here in Job where the uh, alleviation of suffering for Job is so necessary, Job knows he has an intercessor. He has a comforter. He is one who has been faithful to his calling since the dawn of creation. For us to remember, Christ has eternally been in the presence of the Father, pleading for us, his people, whether it be in the Old Testament for the chosen people, the Jews, or whether it be in our time now, 
because we can trust in Christ's promise to always be with us, to never leave us nor forsake us, to never let us go. The passage closes. 17, verse 6. God has made me a, a byword to anyone, a man in whose faith people spit. My eyes have grown dim with grief. My whole frame is but a shadow. The upright are appalled at this. The innocent are aroused against the ungodly. Nevertheless, the righteous will hold to their ways, and those with clean hands will grow stronger. But come on, all of you, try again. I will not find a wise man among you. My days have passed. My plans are shattered. The desires of my heart turn night into day. In the face of darkness, light is near. If the only home I hope for is the grave, if I spread out my bed in the realm of darkness, if I say to corruption, you are my father, to the worm, my mother, or my sister, where then is my hope? Who can see any hope for me? Will it go down to the gates of death? Will we descend together into dust? Job knows that his reality is painful, painful enough that other people around him will, in verse 6, be a person who he, they spit on because his, his lot, his reality is so horrible, so difficult, so challenging. And yet he says and makes it clear that he will continue to seek out something. It says this, um, it says this in verse 12, yet the desires of my heart turn night into day in the face of the darkness Light is near. Job is committing to walking with God, despite the fact that to the rest of the people around him, including his friends, he is considered wicked or reprehensible or someone worthy of rejection. He will continue to seek out, to be faithful, to be righteous, and trust in the will of God. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read this book of Job, I'm inspired. I'm inspired that my challenges, there are times when they feel like they're great or overwhelming, and I'm sure you have that too. You have things in your life that are overwhelming sometimes that, that you try to figure out how in the world are we supposed to navigate this? It can be in your business. It can be, in your, um, it can be with COVID. It can be in um, your finances. It can be in your relationships, your marriage, your relationship with your kids, your grandkids, or your parents or your grandparents, whatever it is. But when I look at Job, Job, remember, had everything taken away financially and with his work. Everything was gone. He had all of his children, they were dead. He had all of his health, his health, he's sitting, scraping himself, remember, with a potsherd because he's covered with open sores in pain constantly. And yet he says this, I want to encourage you, keep your finger in this passage, but turn to chapter 13, verse 15, really quick. Chapter 13, verse 15, and I want, <clears throat> let's see here. Mark, would you read the first portion of that verse? S 13, verse 15. Though he will slay me, yet I will hope in it. What does it say, Norma? What does it say, Kristen? What does it say, Jason? Okay, hear that for what it is. 
This is a man who's had everything taken away. The only thing remaining that we can think of in his life are three friends who are giving him no hope and a woman in his life, his wife, who said, why don't you just curse God and die? And yet he says, though he will slay me, yet I will trust in God. Now tell me about how hard your difficulties are. I'll tell you. And compare them to the life of Job, who is a person who lives in physical pain, emotional pain, all pain that we can possibly imagine. And yet he says those words with conviction, though he will slay me, yet I will trust in him. He even says that at the end of the passage we just read. He will take his hope to the grave in God. God who is his father, who has given him all the blessings that he used to have, but now at God's hand, all those blessings have been taken away. But he still trusts. He still trusts that there is an intercessor. He still trusts that there is goodness in God for him to experience. He still trusts that God's plan and purpose for his life is greater than any plan that he might have for himself. I don't know about you, but then when I look at all my challenges and my problems, they don't hold a candle. And here's that man saying, though he will slay me, yet I will trust. I will trust because he is with me. I will trust because he is light in my darkness. I will trust because he is hope where there is hopelessness. He is wholeness when there is brokenness. He is everything that I need, even though I don't always feel him. He is everything that I need because God does keep his promises and praise be to God. That intercessor that Job talks about in chapter 15 shows up and the story is changed and that's the story that we experience today. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your presence in us. Thank you for your presence before the Father. Thank you that we can trust in your intercession on our behalf, that you plead our case before the creator, that you take our suffering and you put it before the father that he might know our cry, our longing for things to be made new, our longing for your transformation, our longing for your transformation both in our life and in the world, in all the places, Lord, where we see brokenness. We lay these needs before you as our intercessor and we ask, oh Father, that through the Son you listen to our cry, that you intercede on our behalf and you make things new. Bring us life, bring us love, bring us grace, bring us hope, bring us all that we need because you are the only one who can do it. In Christ's name we pray, amen.